Chapter Five of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Catherine, Grand Duchess. In the month of January of the year seventeen forty four, there arrived in Russia a little girl who had been given before she left Germany many, many injunctions and much good advice from a rigid Protestant father, and whose sole wealth consisted of four silk dresses, a length of blue and silver stuff, and a Lutheran prayer book. She had with her, too, a tiresome, petulant, intriguing mother who very often slapped and scolded her who complained and groaned and cast up her eyes at the bad roads the uncomfortable inns the lack of decent accommodations and food and who became still more aggravating in her puffed-out pride when the travellers were received with great ceremony and honours at riga and petersburg the little girl however was used to her mother's crossness and also to her petulance and her vanity and looking at the snow-bound wastes the endless forests of pine and birch the frozen rivers her thoughts were already busy with other things her mind that was no longer so very childish was made up to conquer the heart of this great strange country and make herself beloved and worshipped by its people after a rest in petersburg the journey to moscow where the empress elizabeth was then in residence was performed in pomp and luxury that greatly pleased the little girl's mother the enormous sledge painted in scarlet and silver with its costly furs its cushions and mattresses and silken coverlets lined with wool delighted her with its comfort while the guard of honour and suite who accompanied them gave her an almost childish pleasure one can see her the poor blundering unwise woman rather red about the face rather watery about the eyes lying in that gorgeous sledge muffled in furs thinking her foolish injudicious thoughts had she not been asked to bring her daughter sophie familiarly known as figchen to marry the heir to this great empire and had not she herself the princess genie of anhalt zerbst been entrusted by frederick of prussia with a secret mission namely that of working with the marquis de la chitadi the french ambassador against the powerful chancellor bethhaiu the princess jean could not get over the greatness of her own importance and the ceremony attending their arrival at moscow and the gracious reception of the empress still further swelled out her vanity making her for the time being insufferably consequential and arrogant her daughter her mind still engrossed with her one fixed intention took it all more quietly looking with her big bright eyes at the ugly awkward gawky boy whom she remembered once having seen in Uton when he was eleven years old and whom she had on that first occasion instantaneously disliked and despised but he was now no longer just prince peter ulrich of schleswig-holstein he was the grand duke peter hereditary heir to the throne of russia and she had been brought all the way from germany to marry him if she showed her distaste her contempt and repugnance she might be sent back in disgrace and then she would never be empress of russia so the starry eyes looked at him gravely weighing and considering his crookedness his sallowness his general unlovely awkwardness while the fresh soft colour deepened a little on the smooth cheeks at having perforce to listen to his foolish confidences for almost the first thing he told her was his consuming passion for a mademoiselle leifalcon who had just been exiled with her aunt to siberia and the princess sophie who had been well brought up thanked him prettily for his trust in her but kept her secret thoughts to herself 
but very nearly fate decreed that the name of a clever woman and a great empress should never be known to history for scarcely ten days after her arrival in moscow the little girl unaccustomed to the russian climate contracted a severe chill by walking up and down her room all night in a dogged determination to master the beginnings of the russian language and lay dying of pleurisy in the kremlin summoned back from the troitsky monastery where she had just gone on one of her frequent pilgrimages the empress arrived at last chased away the foolish hysterical mother and insisted on the patient being bled a treatment that had to be repeated sixteen times in twenty-seven days but which ultimately saved the child's life at last on the twenty-eighth of june old style the princess sophie of anhalt zerbst still rather pale and very slender in a red dress trimmed with silver was received into the orthodox church under the name of catherine alexeyevna and the next day was publicly betrothed to the grand duke peter in the glorious old uspinsky cathedral her determined ambition to be empress of russia seemed on the way to be realized but twice again she was very nearly cheated of her heritage once when the empress discovered princess Jeannie's intrigues against Bethauju, and threatened to send both her and her daughter back to germany and again when peter barely recovered from the measles suddenly developed smallpox on his way from moscow to petersburg and had to be left at hetelof elizabeth who had already gone on to the capital hurriedly returning to nurse him catherine and her mother continued the journey to petersburg alone and arrived there took up their quarters in the winter palace the grey days dragging themselves away in lugubrious and intolerable boredom the princess Jeannie, still smarting from the empress's severe reprimand was petulant and dissatisfied complained that her daughter had better apartments than she had and made herself generally as insupportable as a foolish gossiping peevish old lady could well do catherine filled the long empty hours with reading history and philosophy and with unremitting study of the russian language and perhaps looking out across the frozen neva walking or driving down the wide unfinished untidy streets she dreamt of the palaces she was to build one day when the world would acclaim her as star of the north it was not to be too easy though the path for her young feet her ardent imagination and temperament her passionate love of beauty for at the beginning of january of the year seventeen forty five the empress elizabeth returned to petersburg bringing with her the heir to the throne only barely recovered from his attack of smallpox Kosterer pretends that after her first meeting with peter catherine on returning to her room fell into a dead faint which lasted for three hours and in her memoirs she herself acknowledges that she was nearly frightened by peter's changed appearance that his features had become coarsened and thick that his face was still swollen while an enormous wig he wore to hide his baldness still further added to his grotesque appearance the picture is hardly a pretty one but the crown of russia was that not worth a sacrifice it was surely the luminous shadow of that crown she saw always above the grey mists of the frozen river while the fire of its jewels burnt before her when alone in her room she thought of peter and shuddered a little closing her eyes against the vision of his sallow pock-marked face his treatment of her also bitterly wounded her pride for he neglected her publicly treated her always with careless indifference and when in may elizabeth moved into the summer palace and catherine and her mother were given apartments in a house adjoining on the funtenkwa 
he sent her a message to say that as she now lived so far away it would not be possible for him to come and see her every day her self-esteem suffered from his evident lack of affection for her but if she cried secretly she showed no signs of her grief in public but went on her way determined always to win the affection the respect and admiration of all with whom she came in contact making it a rule to believe that everybody she met was necessary to her in some way or would be of use to her in the future soon after their removal to the summer palace the court again changed its abode and went to peterhof and here by the blue gulf of finland in the shady park with its many whispering fountains the time passed quickly and in the company of her ladies-in-waiting who were young and gay and full of spirits catherine tried to forget what lay before her though as the day fixed for the wedding approached she became more and more melancholy her indomitable resolute ambition alone sustaining her at last on august twenty first the marriage was celebrated in petersburg with all the pomp of magnificent ceremony that was habitual to the court of russia and a month later the princess jeanie of anhalt zerbz said good-bye to her daughter and returned to germany tiresome she had been foolish and petulant and domineering but yet catherine wept to see her go feeling herself now really alone and defenceless her depression not in any way lightened by the removal from her service of her favourite lady-in-waiting mademoiselle Chaukov. that winter passed in an endless series of balls and masquerades which the empress adored elizabeth was at this time at the height of her mature voluptuous beauty and though already beginning to get too stout she still retained a splendid figure her head with the beautiful neck and shoulders was superbly held her eyes were so dark a blue as almost to be black her hair was abundant and softly fair and yet for all her loveliness this daughter of peter the great had inherited a great deal of her father's harshness his pitiless inflexible cruelty and relentlessness before her accession to the throne she had sworn kneeling before a silver crucifix to abolish the death penalty but this did not prevent her sometimes punishing those who crossed her path with almost inhuman brutality hundreds were tortured and beaten hundreds more were exiled to siberia and never heard of again the most glaring of all her acts of intolerance was her punishment of the beautiful madame leifalken who had dared at a ball in the palace to appear in a pink dress which was the empress's favourite colour and which nobody else at court ever ventured to wear whatever fancied crimes of conspiracy and intrigue were later imputed to madame leifalken the crime of being more beautiful than the empress was still the greatest and for this she had her tongue cut out was sentenced to twenty strokes of the knout and exiled to siberia against this woman ruthless when her anger was aroused vain luxury-loving indolent intensely superstitious at times drinking to excess or else fanatically religious and always absolutely immoral catherine young and inexperienced was pitted and more and more peter made it evident to her that she meant nothing to him and that if ever she was in trouble he would not stand by her flagrantly unfaithful to her he passed most of his days in smoking drinking playing the violin atrociously badly or else amusing himself with his marionette theatre his tin soldiers and toy fortresses his passion for military parades making him dress up his unfortunate chamberlains and servants in uniforms and drill them for hours on end in his bedroom 
in every way he was unpleasant coarse-minded and dirty in his habits to such an extent that when the empress ordered him to have a bath he refused on the ground of his health his wife sang of him with a certain plaintive maliciousness his imperial highness was insupportable in summer although she found her chief consolation in books the life catherine was forced to lead often wearied her with its irksome repression and constraint watched on all sides not allowed to go out without permission she was kept almost a prisoner with a husband she could not trust who shamelessly neglected her from whose presence she shrank even though her pride suffered at his indifference only when they were in residence at aranienbaum the estate the empress had given the grand duke near paterhof was catherine a little more free the early mornings with the rising sun on the blue waters and the dew on the grass saw her fresh and fair in man's attire a gun on her shoulder accompanied by one old servant going off to shoot ducks in the reedy marshes or else riding astride she would gallop through the pine woods round petterhof the soft air bringing a flush of colour to her cheeks a sparkle of joyous laughter to her wonderful eyes she forgot during those moments the constant pitfalls and dangers that beset her path she forgot the crooked foul-minded boy who was her husband and the stern tiresome madame Chilglokov, who had been made grand mistress of her court and whose spying watchfulness and prim virtue was a trying burden to bear from petersburg to moscow and back again from petterhof and aranienbaum to the new palace at sarsko just under construction the court journeyed with occasional visits to gostilitza the country estate of count rizamovskia elizabeth's chief favourite with endless packings endless trails of servants of sledges and carriages of boxes cases furniture and provisions these constant removals were made and during the long absences petersburg deserted and almost empty seemed to become a silent city of the dead then at last the court returned the windows of the palaces were cleaned of cobwebs and dust the streets overgrown with grass and weeds were full once more of painted coaches carriages and sledges while the golden peal of a hundred bells rang out from the brightly domed churches there were picnics out on the ice-hills shooting parties on the islands concerts receptions and balls at the winter palace masquerades where sometimes by the command of the empress women had to dress as men and men as women a disguisement that becoming to a very few was hopelessly unflattering to the company in general fat old ladies with short legs trying in vain to look unconscious and at ease while court chamberlains with yellow scraggy necks tried to hide their shortcomings with jewels or a scarf of lace elizabeth's love of dress and adornment had given rise to endless extravagance the courtiers competing and trying to outshine each other in the elaborate splendour of their attire at one ball catherine in despair of being able to have a new costume richer than any of the other ladies appeared in the simplest of white dresses a pink rosebud tucked in the front of her dress and another half hidden in the masses of her luxuriant hair her dazzling youth and freshness her vivacity and vitality charmed all beholders and many a courtier's heart beat a little faster when the magnetic eyes whose colour no chronicler seems to be certain of smiled into his but one heart remained apparently unresponsive and entirely insensible to her charm for the grand duke continued to treat her with the utmost unconcern never even attempting to hide his many infidelities from her indeed boasting to her of his conquests or else making her his confidant when his advances were repulsed 
and presently the girl whose love-stories were to be famous all over europe stretched out eager hands to the first faint warmth of that fire that later on was to light her life with such consuming heat her husband had inspired her with nothing but distaste the affection she might at first have given him had been thrown back on itself by his abominable behaviour zicher tchernikov who had made ardent love to her seemingly gained nothing but an exchange of letters and verses count Chilglokov, fat and sly and foolish had only disgusted her by his heavy attempts at paying court but sergei soolikov twenty-six years old audacious gay a practised and finished love-maker was a very different matter during a hunt at Chilglokov's estate on one of the islands near petersburg he managed to get separated from the rest of the suite with catherine riding close to her under the dripping trees while the sound of the hunt died away in the distance when at last he put spurs to his horse and galloped away she was seized by a sudden terror no 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 she called after him and laughingly above the thud of his horse's hoofs his answer came back to her yes 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 and yet this love-story of catherine's was hardly a very happy one for sergey soolikov with all his charm was stupid fickle and changeable and already that summer when he returned from the country where he had gone on account of the gossip that was linking his name with that of the grand duchess he seemed to her less ardent and attentive indeed she once called him fat arrogant et dissipé after a short stay at petrohof and aranienbaum the court moved to moscow and here again soolikov showed his diminished affection excusing himself on the plea that he affected a coolness in his manner so as to hoodwink the over-curious courtiers knowing that he lied to her catherine pretended ignorance showing herself calm and collected before the world laughing gaily at the jokes and antics of leonerishkin that born harlequin who was to be such a true friend to her all through her life it was during this visit to moscow that madame chilglokov drawing catherine aside one day read her the lecture that has since been so much discussed telling her that as after nine years she had had no child from the grand duke she madame chilglokov would put no obstacle in her way if she chose to show any preference for either soolikov or nerishkin that special circumstances excused many things and that it was necessary for the good of the country that an heir should be born to the throne to all of which catherine listened with such a well-acted air of pretended innocence and ignorance that madame chilglokov finally threw up her hands in despair and scolded her impatiently for being a dunce in the early autumn of that year the big wooden palace at moscow was totally destroyed by fire in the space of three hours and the empress and all the court had to seek accommodation in different parts of the city under all her riches and splendour russia was still uncivilized in many ways and catherine lodged first in chilglokov's house and then in the bishop's palace was overjoyed after the incredible sordid discomfort of these two habitations to receive permission from the empress to go to liberitza the estate peter had just been given not far from moscow meanwhile the palace in the kremlin was hastily rebuilt and for the feasts of the new year the court was once more able to take up its abode there balls and entertainments of all kinds succeeding each other without end but catherine was now expecting a child and was unable to take part in many of the ceremonies and solitary and neglected was overwhelmed with a deep melancholy seeing more clearly that soolikov was no longer faithful to her 
and yet womanlike dreading every moment to hear that he was to be removed from court to add to the difficulties of her position chilglockoff died just when she had succeeded in completely winning him over to her side and alexander chalvilov who replaced him was hated and feared by everybody so that catherine found herself watched and spied on even more closely than before the journey from moscow to petersburg was a torture of discomfort and endless boredom the rooms assigned to her in the summer palace were dark and gloomy even the birth of her son brought her no joy for the empress took him away into her own apartments at once and catherine was left exhausted and suffering with no one to attend to her while hardly any one came near her during the days and weeks that followed and her misery was deepened by sergey soortikoff being sent on a mission to sweden while at the same time princess gargurin her favourite lady-in-waiting left her service and got married when she was still convalescent the court moved into the winter palace and here her bedroom being uninhabitable owing to its proximity to peter's apartments with the acrid smell of his tobacco and the incessant noise of his shouting and drilling catherine slept on a sofa in an ante-room which though small was at least quiet and warm nobody worried about her and she seemed suddenly to have become a person of very little importance the necessary heir to the throne had been produced and was now the empress's sole interest and meanwhile the mother counted for nothing even the mystery that surrounded the birth of the child was for the moment immaterial russia and europe might raise questioning eyebrows ask in cynical curiosity whose son is the tsarevich zichir chernikov's leon Nourishkin's, so oldikov's nobody troubled to find the answer virtually of course peter was the father but russia and europe shrugged expressive shoulders later when he grew up paul was to show such marked resemblance to his official father that the problem of his parentage became once more a vexed and unanswerable question surrounded by a cloud of scandals intrigues and mysteries it was even at one moment whispered that the child was not catherine's at all but elizabeth's whom she had placed in its stead catherine herself plunging into her studies trying to forget so oldikoff's infidelities and her husband's hopeless uncouth coarseness isolated herself almost completely from the court on the plea of ill-health and during the long lonely days reading thinking and preparing herself for the future seemed to be forming herself into the empress who though of foreign blood was to be a worthy successor to peter the great the little girl with the fresh complexion and the shining eyes was gone now for ever and in her place was a woman a woman who faced her enemies with a proud disdain at the same time outwitting them with gay malicious laughter a woman who watched and waited and laid her plans with slow and careful purpose at last sergey soortikoff arrived in petersburg but catherine's joy at his return was dimmed for at the first meeting arranged with her he failed to appear keeping her waiting in an agony of suspense till three o'clock in the morning and merely sending an excuse the next day to say that he had been inveigled into a freemason's lodge and had not been able to get away finally however he came to see her a few days later persuaded her all too easily to forgive him and induced her even to come out of her retirement and take her place at court so in a splendid dress of blue velvet embroidered with gold she made her official appearance once more causing count chalvilov many moments of acute discomfort and annoyance by her arrogance and haughtiness laughing at him all the time behind his back and imitating his continual grimaces to the amusement of all the court 
Shavalov's complaints being brought to Peter's hearing, he went in a furious passion to his wife and accused her of being insufferably proud. Catherine gently asked him in what this excessive pride consisted, to which he could only answer that she held herself too straight, and when she burst out laughing, lost all control and threatened to draw his sword. During the spring, Sir Charles Hanbury Williams came as English ambassador to Petersburg, bringing in his train Stanislaw Poniatowski the man who was to inspire Catherine with a romantic tenderness that not all her subsequent infidelities could quite efface. In spite of her many lovers, in spite of her later treatment of his country when he was king of Poland, she seemed never quite to forget the first real passion that had come to her when she had deemed herself deserted and unhappy. The young Pole, with his slender, graceful figure, his pale face and soft, luminous eyes, his manners of Paris and London quickly consoled her for the absence of Sergei Sooldikov, whose flirtations in Sweden and Dresden were constantly being brought to her ears. It was Leon Narishkin again who acted as go-between in the romance, sending the Grand Duchess letters which, though supposed to come from him, she easily saw were written by a different hand and when in the autumn the court returned to petersburg and were installed in the newly reconstructed winter palace leon's gay audaciousness completely overcame catherine's habitual caution the apartments that had been given her were somewhat removed from those of the grand duke and leon persuaded her one night to pretend to retire to bed early dismiss madame of Vladislava, and then get up again put on a man's dress and wait for him to come and mew at her door like a cat and lead her to his sister-in-law's house where poniatowski was waiting for her so was the first secret meeting arranged to be succeeded by many others return visits to catherine's rooms also being engineered with elaborate precautions the risk and danger that attended these gatherings only adding to their enjoyment those evenings when slim and slender in her man's attire she slipped past the sentries at the palace gates catherine was only a girl going to meet her lover but the shadows were gathering round her path and at other moments she was a woman who faced decisions of tremendous importance who waited and calculated watched every trick of the complicated game and wisely chose the moment to make a move the great chancellor bethalyu who had formerly been her implacable enemy, was now entirely won over to her side, and when Poniatowski was forced to leave Petersburg, it was through his help that she succeeded in getting him recalled as Polish minister to Russia. More and more her influence began to be felt in politics, and more and more foreign diplomats began to foresee that she was a power to be reckoned with. But her approaching confinement which her husband, in a fit of temper, declared had nothing to do with him, the failing health of the empress, who had become subject to prolonged fainting fits, and Peter's renewed and violent passion for Elizabeth Woronzoff, all warned Catherine that the moment for a definite choice had come. Either she must share Peter's life and whatever fate had in store for him, or she must be exposed to his pleasure, or, on the other hand, she must take a path entirely independent of him in fact she must either perish with him or by him or try and save herself her children and the state from the danger with which he threatened them deciding on the latter course she determined to advise him whenever it was possible to try not to rouse his anger and all the time to work for the favour of the public and show the people that in her they had a refuge 
when catherine's daughter anne was born the empress as before immediately removed the baby to her own apartments but this time catherine had taken her precautions and was determined not to be left lonely and solitary during her convalescence accordingly on the pretext of protecting herself from draughts she had huge screens placed at one side of her bed so arranged as to cut off one part of the room in this cunningly constructed alcove she could receive visitors and if anybody came in could pull the curtains of her bed and hide it from sight poniatowskia disguised in a fair wig and declaring himself when challenged to be one of the grand duke's musicians was naturally a frequent visitor leon Narishkin and his sister-in-law and one or two others were admitted and one evening were nearly discovered by count Shalvilov, who asked to be received in order to show catherine the plans for some projected fireworks madame vladeslava who suspected catherine's ruse knocked at the door thus allowing time for the curtains to be pulled hiding the alcove and the guests catherine rubbing her eyes as if just awakened from sleep received Shalvilov discussed the matter with him at length and finally when he had gone rang for an enormous supper to be brought declaring that she was dying of hunger indeed one wonders what the servants must have thought of her tremendous appetite at this time in february seventeen fifty eight beth was arrested implicated it was supposed with the grand duchess in the buying over of general apraxim who after his victory over the prussians at gross jejorstorf had suddenly and incomprehensibly retired catherine knew herself to be innocent of this treason but there were other things she and beth Hayu had discussed which might be seized on by her enemies the health of the empress was causing ever greater anxiety the future of the crown was precarious and the great chancellor had written several times to the grand duchess proposing that on the death of the empress she should be given equal rights of sovereignty with peter with her habitual prudence she had merely sent back an answer by word of mouth declaring the project to be too dangerous and difficult beth Hayu, however had persevered writing and rewriting the proposal the drafts of which he luckily had time to burn before his arrest some incriminating letters from poniatowskia were however found the empress asked for his immediate recall and catherine fearing what further discoveries might be made burnt all her papers and wrote a letter to the empress in which forestalling her probable disgrace she begged to be allowed to go home she had failed she said in winning the affection of the grand duke as she was never allowed to see her children it made no difference whether she was in the same country or not she was sure too that the empress would care for them and that they would not miss her she begged therefore to be given permission to go away as the state of her health had become impaired by her mental suffering the letter sent off catherine waited in suspense for an answer which failed to appear and meanwhile still another blow was struck at her for by order of the empress madame vladoslova who had been in her service for years was removed from court believing everything to be lost and overcome with grief catherine gave way to a hopeless fit of tears till one of the ladies-in-waiting suggesting the idea to her she declared herself to be dying and asked in a gasping whisper to see a priest her confessor was immediately brought and knowing that every word would at once be repeated to the empress she told him the whole story how peter was so enamoured with elizabeth woronzoff 
that he had not even come to inquire for her when he heard that she was dangerously ill how everybody suspected her of intriguing and how her letter to the empress had never been answered so successful was she and so uneasy was elizabeth at the account given by the confessor of catherine's state of mind that the next evening the long-desired interview was at last accorded outside on the wide stone quays the bitter wind blew the snow in drifting mists down the frozen river within in the warm shadowy room the interview that was to decide not only catherine's fate but the fate of a whole empire dragged slowly on the flickering light of the candles fell on the empress her radiant beauty a ruin the hand of death which she dreaded so intensely already touching her shoulder and on the woman whose youth was still a triumphant challenge whose eyes were so magnificent in their anger whose proud head was bent in pretended humility whilst her ridiculous husband reeking of drink and tobacco balanced himself on rickety legs trying to throw aspersions on her trying to argue with her blundering losing his temper beaten at every turn by her quick wit her unfailing ready answers the daughter of peter the great looked at the mean miserable specimen of humanity who was heir to the throne of russia and sighed with a sudden overwhelming weariness it was true that he was her sister's son and therefore the grandson of the emperor but there was nothing to make it seem possible and she sighed again and looked across at the girl who was his wife finding in her some of the unconquered spirit of that dead magnificent father of hers if she sent catherine back to germany in disgrace peter would most certainly marry the squinting spitting pockmarked elizabeth woronzoff the empress stirred restlessly in her chair in the big golden mirror on the marble-top table it seemed to her that her father's strange wild eyes appealed to her and rising suddenly she drew near to catherine and gave her her hand in dismissal whispering to her at the same time that she still had much to say to her but that she could not speak openly at present on account of those that were present a few hours later she sent the vice-chancellor woronzoff to her with a message begging her to renounce her idea of leaving russia and shortly before the court left for the country catherine received permission to go and visit her children the empress coming into the room while she was there the memoirs of catherine end abruptly in the middle of her description of this second interview and if there were any further notes written by her they were all burnt by paul when on her death he went through her papers it is certain however that the victory of the young grand duchess was complete and her position with the empress assured beyond any discrediting rumours but in spite of her triumph the following year was not to be a very happy one poniatowskia evading and postponing the moment of departure for as long as possible had at last to leave in april her little daughter anne died and a few months later she received the news of her mother's death in paris but catherine had courage and resilience and luckily for her she was not faithful for very long although the memory of poniatowski's gallantry his quick poetic turn of a phrase and his eyes that seemed able to express so many things were never quite forgotten yet her curiosity and interest were soon aroused by a man who was as great a contrast as it is possible to imagine brave as a lion stupid as an owl absolutely uneducated and yet possessing that unexplainable gift of fascination and attraction grigory orloff was a giant in stature with honey-coloured hair laughing audacious eyes and a beautiful profile 
he and his four brothers were supposed to be descended from that soldier of the strelitzii guard who was named by his comrades oral the eagle and who according to the legend on his way to execution during the wholesale extermination of the strelitzii disdainfully pushed aside the bleeding head of the man who had preceded him on the scaffold an action seen by peter the great who attracted by the man's magnificent figure and calm unwavering courage pardoned and released him on the spot the absolute mastery grigory orloff quickly won over catherine seems hard to explain but she was wise enough to know that in the future she would need men who were fearless and who would without question risk death for her sake and by binding gregory to her side she won the support of his brothers who were perhaps the only men in russia at that moment who answered to her purpose at the same time she succeeded in gaining the support of pigno who had been made governor of her son and whose cold careful calculating brain was necessary to her with the orloff brothers all ardour and impetuous fire and flame scandal has since affirmed that to win pigno's adherence princess deshkau who though she was the sister of elizabeth Warrensoff, was entirely devoted to catherine's cause sacrificed her antipathy to him and became his mistress but in the midst of the web of intrigue and conspiracy that surrounded the winter palace it is difficult to know the truth and princess deshkau was apt to always exaggerate her own part in the coup d'etat which placed catherine on the throne and as the days passed on the court saw ever more clearly that the empress could not live much longer and the question of succession became ever more vital was discussed in whispers in the corridors of the palace in gilded diplomatic drawing-rooms in shadowed doorways at the corners of the streets peter with his furtive pockmarked face and his holstein soldiers was hated and despised by everybody it was certain that once emperor he would divorce catherine marry elizabeth Warrensoff, make peace with prussia govern how would the little drunken dissolute man govern russia hands were flung up in despair and heads shaken in grave and melancholy foreboding there remained the alternatives of giving catherine equal rights with him or of granting his crown to the little eight-year-old paul and making his mother regent during his minority pigno favoured this latter plan but the orloffs had other ideas and catherine watched and waited the dream of the little girl who had come to russia eighteen years ago with the one determined intention to be empress still unswerving and steadfast in her mind End of chapter five